may be seated. Our sermon text today is taken from Luke 12. It's going to be verses 35 to 48. It's a passage that speaks of the second coming of Christ. This is a uh, an incident, the second coming of Christ, it's mentioned throughout Scripture no less than 300 times. It is all over the pages of Scripture. We see it, of course, in the book of Revelation, where, where we read such things as Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Or Revelation 22, in verse 12, we read Jesus saying, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. And in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Of course, there's Acts 1, verse 11. We just read those words together. The angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. We could look to many other passages of Scripture, like I said, over 300 times. Perhaps one of my favorite is one that I actually read quite often at funerals when I conduct them. Found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. There, blessed words. A, a glorious and blessed hope that we have, tied up in the second coming of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the topic of what he speaks about here in Luke 12, verses 35 to 48. So please follow along as I read from this, the inspired word of God. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But, I, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into you must also, also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the, that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, thank you for this day and for this portion of your word that you have given to us. May it be a portion upon which we feed now. And may you nourish our souls because of it. Cause us to see you better and to love you more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage of scripture that we've looked at here, it's a passage that contains three different little parables. All three of them are tied together. They all kind of underline the same truths. There's, there's a pair of truths that really are, are most important here, and, and they deal with, with the coming of the Lord, with his return, his second coming. First truth, the Lord will return. It's a settled fact. It is going to happen. We can bank on it. There is no doubt. Second truth, we don't know when that will happen. The Lord hasn't revealed it to us. And so in light of these truths, Jesus tells these parables, these parables that prepare us, these parables that teach us, these parables that show us how it is that we should be living our life in light of these two truths. Have you ever been doing something, perhaps in a room by yourself, and somebody kind of unexpectedly walks into the room, and, and you're surprised and kind of a little bit embarrassed because whatever it was you were doing, you know, you really didn't want somebody to see you doing it, and just kind of caught you off guard. That Jesus speaks to us so that we won't be caught off guard in that way. He says specifically, Verse 35, stay dressed for action. Now, the, the literal language here would be gird your loins. Right? The, the picture is one of, of those who are in the ancient Near East who would wear long robes, not, not unlike this. And, and what they would do when they were going to work, when they were going to uh, do any kind of manual labor, something that would require them to be about working, is they, they would hitch up their robes like this, and they would, they would tuck them into their belt, right? So, so they wouldn't trip over their robes and, and be all clumsy, but rather having, having them up, you know, and their legs bared, you know, they, they'd be able to move around freely. And so that's, that's kind of the metaphor here that's being used is, is gird your loins, you know, get your clothes ready, dress for action, Jesus says. It's the same 
phrase that uh, Peter uses in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, where he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. That idea of preparing your minds for action, it's literally the same verb being used there. That, that girding of oneself, that preparing oneself for the work they will, they, they will need to do. And so the question is for us, what, what exactly does it mean for a Christian to be prepared or dressed for action? I mean, we understand that there's different ways that we dress for different things, right? I, I've coached uh, my, my children's baseball teams and, and, and basketball teams. And, and you know, when, when we prepared for a game, I, I didn't tell... Caroline, for instance, to prepare for the basketball game by, by putting on, you know, her, her nicest dress, right? Because that's not what you wear to play basketball. I didn't tell her to put on her, her tap shoes to play basketball. When Jack's got a baseball game, I don't tell him to put on a coat and tie, even though that is a very appropriate thing to to wear, to dress for something else, there's, there's certain attire that you need to wear for that specific event. And so Jesus here is telling us to, to stay dressed for action. And what exactly would that look like? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. You might have caught there that fastened on, put on, put on. Again, in, in the original Greek, it's, it's the same base verb there that's used in our text today of dressing for action. It's that same idea. What did Paul say that we needed to have? Truth, righteousness, and the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That is what we are to do clothe ourselves in, to dress ourselves in, to ready ourselves with. So first of all, truth. What truth is he speaking of? Well, he's speaking of the truth of Jesus. As Jesus has said about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is, he is the one truth against which all other truth is measured. Jesus is the truth and we need to clothe ourselves with him. It is only when we are united with him, bound to him, that we can truly be dressed for action, that we can be prepared for his return. Secondly, he speaks of a righteousness, and this is tied together to the first. We're to be clothed with this righteousness. We're to put on this righteousness. Now, it's not the righteousness of, of our own deeds that he's talking about. Uh, in Isaiah 64, the prophet speaks of, of how we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The King James says they're like filthy rags. You know, and the idea there is that, that if we are to try to gain our own righteousness through righteous deeds, then we will, we will fail miserably. Whatever we think we are putting forth as something that earns our righteousness, that proves our righteousness on our own, apart from God, is nothing but filthy rags in his eyes. But if we are clothed in Christ Jesus, in his righteous robes, 
that truly we have righteousness in the eyes of God. He looks on us and sees us for all the righteousness that Christ has, clothed in him. So we must put him on. He is the truth. He is our righteousness. We are made new in him. Now that doesn't mean that just because Christ is our righteousness that we can go on living however we want. Of course, that is not the case. It should be lived out as Paul puts it in Romans 13. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality, nor sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we need to put on truth. We put on righteousness. We put on the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. You see, we we can be at peace with God because of Christ Jesus, because it's his righteousness that matters and setting us right before God. And so if we are clothed in him, we can be at peace. We need not worry about his return. We don't need to worry about him walking in on us and surprising us while we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. We can be confident that, that as he returns, we are his beloved, and we can look forward to his return. We can, we can anticipate it. We can long for it. We can, we can be ready for it what he says here when he says keep your lamps burning that's the idea the metaphor is being being ready for someone to visit you know you remember the 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 commercials you've heard uh before for for motel six you know at the end of the motel six commercials they're they're all the same it's the spokesman tom bodette and he says i'm tom bodette for motel six and we'll leave the light on for you that's what he's saying he's saying Keep your lamps burning. We'll leave the light on for you. It's not so much the light that matters here. The point is, we'll leave the light on for you. We'll be prepared for you. We'll be ready for you. We'll be waiting for you. We're anticipating you. We're longing for your visit. We are here to welcome you into our presence. We'll leave the light on for you. Keep your lamps burning. We need to be prepared for the arrival of the Lord. What does it mean to be prepared for the arrival of the Lord? But to get right with the Lord. We need to get right with the Lord if we're going to be prepared. Now, that doesn't mean that we are perfect in all that we do. No. We will never this side of glory be perfect. But it does mean that we are to take account of the sin that is in our life. We are to to repent of that sin. We are to seek the Lord's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. It means that we, we, when we pray each week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we really mean it. It's not just lip service that we're paying, but we really want things to be ordered on earth as they are in heaven, and we are willing to be a part of making that come to happen. We're, we're willing and even desirous of being used by God to bring about that effect that the world would look more like heaven because of what he does in and through us. It's not something that we ever retire from. It's something that we work on till our very last breath. We are, we are seeking to be a part of God's advancement of his kingdom here in the world. 
That's part of getting right with God, being ready for him. And be like men, he says in verse 36, who are waiting for their masters to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants who, whom the master finds awake when he comes. The ideas of a master who's gone off and gone to this wedding feast and nobody knows how long it will last. And, and when he finally comes home, the servants are there waiting for him. And they are so blessed to be waiting for him. You know, they could have just gone to bed. They could have just knocked out, but they, they, will, they will receive blessing for having been there. How blessed it is for them. How good it is for them. How happy are they. You see, it's not just that they avoid a bad thing by, by not going to sleep, but it's actually a good thing. It's a positive thing for them to be awake, to be ready, to be prepared, and so it is for us. I think back to when I was a child, uh, one Christmas Eve, we were all gathered at, at my house. I was probably 10 years old, maybe, 11. Uh, and, and my father had, had to go out of town. And we were waiting for him to return. And it was Christmas Eve, and we actually had family, uncles and aunts over at the house. But, but we really couldn't start with the Christmas celebrations until my father got home. And I remember sitting there in the chair, looking out the front window of my house, waiting for my father to get home, waiting with anticipation because once he got home, we could start the Christmas celebration. And I just so wanted to get started. I was so excited about it. And I was waiting for him to get there. And, and there was anticipation and there was, was this pent-up joy that was waiting to explode. And then finally, I saw my father drive up in front of the house and get out of the car and come in. And I was so excited to see him. And it was such a blessed thing, such a happy thing that he had arrived. I knew that while he was gone, that he was going to return. And when he returned, everything was going to be great. And this is exactly the picture that we have with our Savior Christ Jesus. He is gone for a time, but he is returning. And when he returns, all things will be set to rights. And we who are his will be filled with joy. What a good thing it is for those who are waiting for him to knock on the door. I think of the passage in Revelation 3, 20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. What a wonderful promise. What a, what a wonderful gift that is. King of the universe, the Lord of lords, the King of kings has promised us that, that when he knocks on the door, if only we are there to open the door, he'll come in and eat with us. You know, just imagine if, if somebody powerful and famous and whatever, celebrity or whatever person, whoever it is you want to imagine, sent you a letter and said, hey, I'd like to come do lunch with you. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be neat? I mean, it would be neat if people just, you know, famous and, and, and powerful people were, were wanting to come have lunch with you, wanting to share a meal with you. But Jesus is far greater than any person you could imagine. And that's exactly what he said. He said, I will come and share a meal with you. Beyond that, 
He says in verse 37 that he'll dress himself for service and have us recline at the table and we'll come and serve them. He, he will dress himself for service. It's the same verb that's used back in verse 35 of that, that girding up your loins, of getting ready for work, being prepared. He says, Jesus will do this very same thing. He will serve us. It would be utterly shocking to suggest that one might dare to so completely empty himself of all his rights, of his position, of his privilege, of his you know, prerogatives, also that he might serve us instead of being served. But that's exactly what Jesus did. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. It's the lesson of the upper room where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, that meal, that, that meal that we will just in a couple weeks share, gathered around this table. And the Lord indeed will serve us. But the fullest expression of this service comes, of course, at the cross, Calvary's cross, where he died for our sins, where he bore our penalty, where he paid our price. And so no matter when he returns, it's a joyful thing for us. It's a joyful thing for us because he has done so much for us and we want to welcome him, we want to thank him, we want to exalt in him, we want to joyfully greet him. So it doesn't matter when he comes, second watch, third watch, like he says here, but know this, the master of the house if he had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. The picture here is not that Jesus is somehow a thief who's coming, but rather it's saying that, that he's going to come at, at an unexpected hour, just as a thief comes at an unexpected hour. Nobody breaks into the house and says, okay, I, you know, I, I'm going to break into your house at uh, 3 o'clock on next Wednesday. Is that all right with you? Right? They, they do it when you don't expect it. And that's what Jesus is saying. His return will be as unexpected as the actions of such a thief, it'll be completely unexpected in every way. You know, in Matthew 24, we, we read a uh, similar telling of how unexpected it is. He says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus says, he doesn't even know when the day will be. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, you'll just be going about your business. You know, you'll have an appointment for the next afternoon that you won't make <laughs> because the Lord will return. It will be unexpected so we need to prepare ourselves because it is coming. What Peter says is, is this a parable just for us or for, for all? Is it just for the leadership team, Lord? Is this just, you know, the apostles? Or, or does everybody need to know this? And Jesus answered once more in the way he often does with, with a question of his own. And he says... Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? He speaks of 
of a, of a household manager, somebody who kind of oversees the estate, if you will. Uh, this would have been uh, oftentimes a, a slave, actually, that would kind of o oversee all these types of things. And, and we see in verse 43, he says, Blessed is that servant, the Greek word doulos, a, a bond servant or, or a slave, uh, whom his master will find him so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He's saying, if a master leaves and, and has this guy who's in charge of, of a lot of things, and he comes back and finds he does really well, he will, he will promote him to a higher position. He'll, he'll give him more authority. He'll put him over more things. It's kind of the picture that, that, that we see in the case of like Joseph. Remember Joseph in, in the Old Testament who, who was actually in prison and, and Pharaoh came to learn about his, his wisdom and his ability to, to interpret dreams. And, and he, he learned what he needed to learn from him. And, and he was so impressed with the wisdom that Joseph had shared. He, he raised him to a position of authority where he was second only to Pharaoh. He was kind of the vice president of the land. And, and it was all because he had shown such wisdom and faithfulness in what he had done. And Jesus says it is the same for us we are faithful we too will experience abundant blessing when he returns we have to be wise in the meantime whenever i read this passage i think of a of a story a, a friend of mine in high school he was 15 at the time i think maybe he had just turned 16 but i think he was 15 we were uh, in school and uh, my friend nathaniel he he was uh, at home because his, his parents had gone to visit his aunt. And uh, they were, they were going to be gone for a few days. They were coming back on Sunday. And Nathaniel, being a, a somewhat precocious teenager, decided that he was going to have a party at his house. And so he spread the word, party at, party at my house, Saturday night, come on over. And the word spread widely, too widely, where people from all across the St. Louis metropolitan area started showing up in Nathaniel's house. It was a gigantic party to where there was no way his parents weren't going to find out about this party because it wasn't kind of just a quiet little party. It was raucous. Well, as bad as, as it would be to know that your parents were going to find out about it, it was even worse when on Saturday night, in the midst of the party, Nathaniel's parents returned home. Nathaniel's dad was really intimidating, actually. He was just an intimidating guy, and he walked into his house and bellowed to everybody to get out, and everybody poured out of his house, including Nathaniel. Uh, <laughs> but his dad caught him <laughs> and said, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and uh, Nathaniel had, had much... Uh, much grief because of this. <laughs> because you know, he was doing what he shouldn't have been doing. He was not ex exhibiting wisdom. He was not exhibiting preparedness. And his father came home at an unexpected time. But if that servant says to himself in verse 45, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat male and female services and servants and eat and drink and get drunk, then the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know, 
and you will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Now, first of all, we see cut him to pieces. That seems kind of severe. And perhaps it literally means cut him to pieces, chop, chop, and to pieces. I don't think that's likely what it means. Uh, we, as we, we interpret what it's saying there, uh, first of all, because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that he's going to then put him with the unfaithful. I mean, like, like shipping me off to be with the unfaithful is bad, but like if I've already been cut into pieces, frankly, it doesn't really matter that much to me. So I think there's something else going on here. Perhaps, perhaps what it means is it's just kind of a, an idiom, kind of like if we would say, you know, I, I really messed things up when the boss left me in charge. When he gets back from vacation, he's going to skin me alive. Now, we don't mean that he's literally going to skin me alive. That's not what we mean in that situation. But, but it's an idiomatic phrase that means I am really in trouble. I'm going to be dealt with severely and harshly, and it is not going to be at all pleasant. I think that might be what's going on here, or perhaps even more likely, what we look at here is, is we should translate it in a slightly different way to understand instead of cut him into pieces, it means to cut him off, as in to cut him off from the people of God. It's the way the same idea is communicated in uh, Psalm 37, in a number of places, verses 9, 22, 34, 38, all speak of, of a person being unfaithful and being cut off from the people. And I think maybe that's what's being communicated here. That's why he's put off with the unfaithful. And the lesson for us is this, just because you are a member of the visible community of the people of God, do not rest on your laurels, do not think that that, that membership accomplishes for you the peace that you need to have. You need to trust in Christ Jesus. You need to know his words, depend upon his promises. We are responsible for the knowledge that he has given us, and we have all been given the knowledge, if we are in here, that God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love God with all that we are and with all that we have. That is what we are called to do and we all fail miserably at that. And so when we do fail, we need to flee to Christ. We flee to Christ that we might receive his forgiveness. We trust in him. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, James says, for him, it is sin. And so, we knowing that truth are accountable for that truth. So let us be those who strive to walk faithfully. But when we fail to walk faithfully, we fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and to the cross. If you haven't already done that, do that today. Get right with Jesus. Trust in him. Know that he is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only way by which you might be right with God. 
And if you have already done that, as I hope most of us have, then we need to start living like it. We need to walk faithfully with him, watching for his return as servants who are ready. Please pray with me. Our Lord, we freely admit that we, we fall far short of what we should be. And so we give great thanks for the grace that you offer us in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would, through Christ Jesus, make us more as you would have us be, that you would help us to see your grace, be motivated by it, empowered by it, strengthened by it, that we might live holy lives, that we might be ready servants who long for your coming, who celebrate your arrival, and who joyfully worship you for all of eternity. We ask it in the matchless name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.